Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to a classic episode of Lunchtime Movie Review on the MHM Podcast Network from our original set of reviews from August 2011 to December 2012. And we are the children of the 80s. Back to lunchtime movie review, where we review the movies from our childhood. I'm Matt. I'm Patrick. And I'm Randy. This week, we're bringing Sylvester Stallone's Rocky Three. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Black Guy Training Academy. Are you an unhip white guy who needs to learn to dance or play basketball or run fast or wear a funky hat without irony or even beat up another black guy? At Black Guy Training Academy, our staff is nothing but black guys to help white guys compete at things black guys excel at. Black Guy Training Academy is endorsed by Larry Bird, Eminem, and Elvis. Black Guy Training Academy is not affiliated with the Gay Guy Training Center. It's funny because it's racist. <laughs> well, given the advertiser, we must have a movie about a black guy training a white guy. That is Rocky Three. You got the summary first, Randy? Yes, I do, Matt. Bring it. Rocky Three picks up literally exactly where Rocky Two left off. And when I say literally, I mean it. As the famous final seconds of the epic rematch between Apollo Creed and Balboa are shown, which of course starts a theme for Rocky Three, where the even more epic rubber match is somehow a concept not thought of. Following this bout against Apollo Creed, Rocky Balboa is crowned the heavyweight champion of the world. The guitar riff starts, and Rocky III introduces us to what will soon become a Rocky staple, the music video montage. The montage, played the survivor's classic Eye of the Tiger, shows the only thing Rocky films know, juxtaposition. Only this time, the roles are reversed. We see Rocky living in the lap of luxury, hand-picked opponents, resulting in easy knockouts, commercials, endorsements, and even a guest appearance on The Muppet Show. Meanwhile, Clubber Lang, a name as subtle and clever as Bludgeoner Smith, played by B.A. Baracus, or Ricky Shorter's bodyguard for some of you, is working his way up through the ranks of professional boxing. This dude is tough and above all mean, which makes him the perfect bad guy and antagonist to the affable Balboa. He has a mohawk and a vicious right hook. He is even allowed to manhandle referees and punch his opponents while they are down. Next, in a scene that is completely an aside and adds nothing to the story, a quote-unquote somewhat charity event where all the proceeds are going to charity. Seriously, that is a line in the movie. Takes place where Hulk Hogan fights Balboa in a prelude to MMA. Hulk Hogan, who really stands 6 feet 7 and 300 pounds, is listed as 7 feet and 390 pounds to make the smallest Stallone not look like his real self of 5'8", 170. It's still a fun scene and one of the more memorable ones of the movie. The drama of the plot thickens, though, when Rocky is commemorated by the good people of Philadelphia with the unveiling of a statue of Balboa to celebrate their favorite son. 
Clubber shows up to piss all over the party and calls Balboa out for ducking him. The last straw is when Clubber crassly hits on Adrian, as no real man would ever stand for that without fighting for her honor, and the bout is on. However, this is the pivotal moment where Mickey initially refuses to be part of it because he knows Rock can't win. He reveals to the intellectually hapless Balboa that all ten of his title defenses were handpicked to protect him. Rocky is stunned and hurt, but determined to fight Clubber and charms Mickey into training him. Back to the juxtaposed music video montage where Rocky is training in a gratuitous media circus, while the angry and hungry Clubber is apparently training in a basement. Just before the fight, Mickey goes down with a heart attack. Rocky, distracted by Mickey being absent and in mortal peril, gets the dog piss beat out of him in the second round, and Mickey expires in the locker room with the hamburger-faced Balboa at his side, and where apparently the paramedics didn't have access to. Rocky is broken physically and emotionally, and his pride and reputation are shattered. In comes Apollo Creed to the rescue, offering to train him for a rematch against Clubber. However, there is a mysterious quid pro quo that becomes an annoying running joke in the movie about a favor Rocky will owe Apollo when it's all over. They travel to Compton, California, where Apollo trains Rocky to become the one thing he needs to be in order to beat Clubber, a black fighter. Apollo tries to give Rocky the rhythm, speed, and taste in music of a black man. But in the most unrealistic part of the movie, a black man tells a white man he needs to swim to prepare. But Rocky doesn't take to the training, and in the apex of the movie, admits to Adrian that, like most white guys, Rocky is simply scared to fight the black guy. But she convinces him that if he doesn't confront his fear and fight this fight for himself and not for anyone else's motives, he will not be able to live with himself. Black guy training resumes along with yet another music video montage of Rocky training. Rocky finds a new purpose along with his rhythm and speed. He's, he proves he's ready for the upcoming fight by beating Apollo in a foot race, the second most unrealistic scene in the movie. <laughs> On to the climax, the big rematch with the beast Clubber Lang. Rocky comes out fighting like a black fighter, which temporarily stuns Lang as he was expecting a lumbering white guy he was built to fight. But Clubber does recover and proceeds again to beat the living shit out of Rocky, but Rocky isn't afraid anymore and notices that Lang appears to be tiring as he pummels Rock's face. In the, in the crucial moment, the fight turns when Rocky discovers he can put his f***ing gloves up to block Lang's vicious hooks and jabs and not go unconscious while he waits for Clubber to get exhausted pummeling him. Once Lang is gassed, Balboa takes over and knocks Clubber out to triumphantly recapture his titer, title. Spoiler alert, there will be no goddamn rubber match. The movie ends when Rocky finally gets to see what the favor he owes Apollo is, which turns out to be the elusive rubber match between the new BFFs. Unfortunately, nobody will ever see it as the famous 80s-style freeze-frame ending closes it out, and the Eye of the Tiger theme song brings in the credits. All right. Yeah, I always liked the ending because you realize those guys were going to be best friends for like a really, 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 really long time. It's really sweet. So Rocky, uh, Rocky three comes out in 1982. Is that right? Yeah, it comes out in May 1982, uh, the same day as Visiting Hours with William Shatner, and that's about it. That's the only movie that came out that what, day. What is that movie? Visiting Hours with William Shatner. Gosh, no clue. It's uh, kind of a murder serial killer in a hospital movie. Yeah, I 
I definitely saw this one in the theater multiple, multiple times. I mean, at least uh, it had to have been at least three times I saw this thing in the theater, but I don't remember anything else that was really out then. Now, the other movies that were out were Hanky Panky with Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner, Poltergeist, Conan the Barbarian, and a Sean Connery comedy called Wrong is Right. Uh, it grossed uh, over $125 million, was the fourth highest grossing film of 1982. It was right behind E.T., Tootsie, and An Officer and a Gentleman. And, right, uh, and uh, right, two of those three uh, were nominated for Oscar, Best yeah. Picture. Uh, actually, I think all three of them were. Yeah, all I think that's yeah, E.T. Oh, right. Yeah, E.T., Tootsie, and Officer and Gentleman, I think were all nominated for Best Picture. Rocky Three was not. Wow, and Rocky Three <laughs> snubbed again. Yeah. <laughs> Right and finished right in front of Porky, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Forty Eight Hours. Oh wow, eighty two is a pretty good year then. At least the top uh, those, those films you just mentioned, yeah, pretty decent. I think summer of nineteen eighty two is uh, by many people considered the best film summer uh, for films. Wow. To give you an idea, what else is going on in nineteen eighty two? The Falkland War, just Argentina invades and and occupies the Falk. Falkland, the Falkland Islands. Uh, John Hinckley Jr. is found not guilty. Is found not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, the fortunately, the judges change that and make insanity virtually impossible to run. Cats opens on Broadway. The number one song that year, or for at least when this comes out in May of, of '82, is Ebony and Ivory. Not unlike uh, Rocky and Apollo themselves. <laughs> How poetic, man. Yeah. And then uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger is uh, also number one song in, from July to, to August, uh, having one of the longest runs that year. Dallas, Three's Company, and Jeffersons are the, and the Jeffersons are uh, big TV shows that year. And CBS is king with 13 top 20 shows. And NBC... Zero top twenty shows in nineteen eighty two. Holy shit! <laughs> pre Cheers and pre Cosby shows. So that's that's eighty two, man. Uh, that's a different world. <laughs> no, that no, came, that came out <laughs> <laughs> after the Cosby Show. <laughs> that's right. That was a spinoff. <laughs> Lisa Bonet. Oh <laughs> uh, shoot! So when when we were talking about doing doing films and doing films from the eighties, this was for me. Uh, I mean, this was a seminal film for me. This was one of my favorites uh, as a kid. I just remember having a real strong reaction when it when it came out. Was that? Did you guys have the have the same same reaction? Um, yeah, I was I was three when uh, Rocky came out, um, so I had no real memory of those in the theater. But I did have a memory of this in the theater, and, and then my uh, more affluent friend down the street could afford uh, on TV, and I watched this over and over and over. Uh, the summer of 83, which was the year after it was released. So I had seen this movie a lot as a nine-year-old. It was, it was the yes, for, for me, it was the first Rocky. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was the, ac- absolutely the first Rocky that I saw. I saw it on HBO. I didn't actually see well, it in the theater. I'd heard about it from my cousins who'd seen it in the theater, and you know, and I obviously knew who Mr. T was. I mean, he, he just kind of exploded after this film. And, you know, I saw it and loved the Rocky films. I actually went back and watched Rocky 1 and 2 and was severely disappointed with them you know, when I was a kid because they were boring as shit. 
shit. <laughs> so they're right, Rocky one and Rocky two, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're hardcore dramas with a little bit of a fight at the end. Rocky three was, you know, it was it was exciting. There was a lot of fight, and it was a hell of a lot shorter movie than the first two. So, oh, how things have have changed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, now as an adult, it's it's kind of the complete reversal that I I really enjoy Rockies one and two, and you know three and four the the bigger the bigger films in the series are they're they're not as good to me they don't they don't stand the test of time but I'm jumping to the end already but yeah but they're 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 really bubblegum that's the that's the thought that kept coming to mind when I was watching this film again and it's been a while since I've seen this I've actually uh, re watched Rocky's Rocky 1 and 2 uh, fairly recently I mean, you know TNT or or one of those those cable shows seems to put do a uh, a Rocky marathon when they're not running like the Harry Potter marathons but uh, so so I remember catching both Rocky 1 and Rocky 2 fairly recently and really really appreciating the story and the depth and the character development and everything that they do and really getting into these characters and so watching this was was really it, it was just without Without what? character development, without story development, and really without a without a real story. Well, you you make mention of their bubble. This one is bubble gum, but I don't even if it's bubble gum, it's not even good bubble gum. This is like Bazooka Joe bubble gum, and it has like that <laughs> ten second flavor, and then it's just a wad of crap in your mouth. I mean, that's how watching this film now compared to back then. I loved it back then because it was there was a lot of visual style. It was a it was a ninety minute music video. It was you know all intense well it was developing to a ninety minute music video. That's Rocky Four, which was literally top forty music video throughout the throughout the entire film. But this this film is just is so unsatisfying as an adult now because all the things you said um, just for the purposes of I guess making some money and showing off Stallone's new body and face. Isn't yeah. that kind of a reflection though? I mean, the seventies was movies seemed to be more about uh, character development and drama, and the eighties was more about glitz, glamour, aesthetic, you know, eye candy. And this this was the first of the eighties. Uh, since you said the first, the second one was the '79. Did you think it's kind of a reflection of of what people wanted in the '80s? I, I, no, I think that's probably very, very true. But it, you know, for the people who really liked the first Rocky film, they've got they've. If someone and, and you and I, Randy, both jumped onto the series with this. Matt, had you seen Rocky one and two before? Oh, this, is, this is the first one I saw as well. So we jump on at this point, and then we go back, and we're disappointed in the first two because their they're he- hardcore drama is not very interesting. But the, for the people who fell in love with Rocky in 1976, you know, this underdog story that, you know, was effectively developed into a sequel that I thought was really good as well, they've got to be disappointed in what the hell is this? I mean, that this is not the schlub Rocky anymore. In fact, he doesn't, he's not even an idiot before. I mean, before he's kind of this punchy little fighter who's just stubborn and just has this will and desire. And suddenly in this film, he starts developing intelligence at the age of 34 or whatever his age was in the film. And, and by Rocky four, he's as smart as any other character on the film. And then of course he becomes a retard again in Rocky five. But I mean, it just, it, it's, they abandoned even the characters that they had in the first two films just for the purpose of making a music video. Yeah, well, I was I was really surprised, I guess, in watching this. Is they show the they show the end of, of Rocky Two where he wins, and it goes right into the guitar uh, from from Survivor's Eye of the Tiger, and the 
very opening sequence is just a montage. And so it goes montage, uh, music video montage, fight with Hulk Hogan, music video montage of him training, fight with uh, first fight with Clubber Lang, music video montage, second training, fight with Clubber Lang at, at the end. And that's really kind of how it goes. I was shocked as I was watching this film progress at how how much how how short it was and how little substance there really was they they, they did they, i mean they they gave like uh a token attempt at developing a little drama with Polly uh at the beginning getting jealous i was like is there a more contemptible despicable unlikable unredeemable uh character than Polly? but here, and, and here's uh, the problem with that is they resolve that within 30 seconds 30 seconds he goes can i have a job Oh, yeah, the door was that. <laughs> but they do that throughout the film. So you have this big kind of conflict with Mickey, and they resolve that right away when Apollo comes in. And they really don't ever talk about Mickey again. And then you get to, well, I'm scared. And they resolve that just with a little talk with, with Adrian. And so they, there's never really any conflict. There's never really any apex. There's no, uh, you know, there's no arc at all to the story whatsoever. It is solely – it becomes a – a very bad action sports movie. You're right. Most all, all three resolutions were like in 90 seconds or less. Yeah. The the only character development, or the, the arguably the only character that was developed, is Apollo. Because although he's a, he's a you know his character is you know this heavyweight uh, kind of rich. Uh, articulate whatever uh, guy in one and two, they do kind of develop him a little bit more. In three, and I guess even uh, Carl Weathers says this was his favorite because of that development. Although it's it's not real clear why he, he he's so intent on helping Rocky Balboa. No, they they give real no mo- motivation for it other than he I guess he wants to punch him again at the end of the film, which we don't get to see. But I, you know, I get frustrated with this film that they this film and Rocky Four in that. They attempt to introduce drama, as you said, kind of introduce drama with Polly resolution, and then with Mickey, and then of course we're going to obviously create the ultimate drama and the fact some some characters got to die, and you have that in three with Mickey, you have it in four with Apollo, and it's like what the hell? I mean, just that you're going to start carrying killing off characters just for the for what I would say to create drama that didn't need to be there. I mean, you really did. Yeah, that's. That's a lazy attempt at uh, creating drama, <laughs> right? And and you know they abandon not just his, you know, the character Rocky's character of, of of being kind of dumb and 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 not you know not real intelligent, but they also abandon his his eye problem. I mean, remember he was blind in part two, which is why he wasn't going to be able to fight ever again. Yeah, well, the, forget those things, because remember in you know part five, he has the severe brain trauma, and he can't ever fight again, but yet there's a Rocky Balboa. I, that must have healed itself in the you know, 15 years between, <laughs> so he's a miraculous healer. He's like Wolverine, you know. So. Well, and you, you have this, this kind of weird black guy having to train the white guy to, to fight like a black fighter, uh, which, as you pointed out, that was never was his skill wasn't a boxer he was just a tough fighter but you know it does seem to be an excuse in order to show off Sylvester Stallone's new roided out uh, 2% body fat body hey don't uh, don't count out uh, uh, Carl Weathers body I mean that dude he looked good in his little 80 shorts 
Um, and pulled up socks, yeah. <laughs> pulled up, yeah, knee-high socks and 80 shorts and nothing else. I, I, before we get to the black training... Now, all of them were incredible. I was I was surprised at how Mr. How, how built Mr. T was back then. You forget just how uh, how how buff he was as well. Yeah, and look at Bert yeah. Young, Paulie. He was in the tip-top shape at that time. So. <laughs> I don't sweat you. I don't sweat you. And, and Hulk Hogan, he was sexy as all get out. I wanted to get back before we get to the black training. You know, as a, as a boxing fan uh, of the '80s, uh, as as you both were, um, and even as a kind of a boxing fan historian of the great uh, fighters from the '60s and '70s, and even before that, you, you end up with these great multiple, like three-way, four-way rivalries. And at the end of Rocky II, Carl Weathers loses his his only title defense, his only title defense loss is in the 15th round by one second to, to Rocky, who he already beat once. And so that, you know, the, the, the whole uh, idea that Apollo Creed would want to live vicariously through Rocky, they, they never really justified that. Why would not Apollo Creed want to fight Clubber Lane? Lang? You know, why not create this, uh, this foreman, uh, Ollie Frazier uh, rivalry or this uh, Hearns Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard three-way rivalry. Uh, it's just like it, it, it didn't make any sense. It was just... No, yeah, I agree. And I, I've never really thought of that until you, you kind of brought it up. But you do you do have kind of this this theme of, of not just Rocky, but of the 80s, which is the black guy helping the white guy uh, to do something. You know, you got it in Breakin, you know, the classic Breakin. You got it in... Create uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the cultural reference there. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you even have it kind of later in White Men Can't Jump where, you know, you've got... Uh, although those are, you know, the, the Wesley Snipes character is probably just as important, but you kind of have, you know, the focal point being the white character. And, and Hollywood is always having to put forth uh, the white character uh, as, in order to tell... Uh, you know, to kind of tell the story of of what would otherwise be, you know, pr- predominantly uh, black culture. You know, you, we're, we we're doing this this podcast on the heels uh, or at this, right around the same day as uh, Glory, and it's kind of the same thing. Is where the story, uh, the black guy story, or the or, or what is predominantly a black culture, has to be told through the white character. And Rocky is does it over and over and over again even so far as rocky five reintroducing another white boxer so it's always kind of this thing with rocky which in in 2012 is a little off-putting for me so there you go hollywood is racist yet once again no i you know i hadn't thought about that but that is that's true that it's it's kind of telling that you know here and especially in this rocky film that you know that the the black culture is that we have to perceive it through the, the white character and how he adjusts to it or adapts to it to make him better uh, and, along with whatever he has. And, you know, and as you pointed out, essentially, Glory, which is essentially a, a story of, you know, African-Americans, is being told through uh, the worst actor in the entire f***ing film. But, so. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that when we review that one. Well, and I do like the, the the film. The Great White Heights seems to pick up on this, which is a film about a white boxer who's going to finally win, and a, and a black boxer who stops training and just doesn't care. But then at the end of the day, whips his butt uh, because the 
black boxers and a better boxer. So they, they do seem to kind of pick up that on that in, in that film. And it's, it, it is, a, it is a point that, that kind of comes up over and over again in the, in the Rocky films. But I guess it is a throwback to write a kind of a, it's inspired by Rocky Marciano. So uh, I, I guess there's a reason for it. Yeah. And maybe it's just part of the natural progression. I mean, the civil rights was only like, 13, 14 years earlier. I mean, Martin Luther King was only killed 14 years before this. And it's just kind of the slow evolution of, of white America accepting black culture in the mainstream. Maybe this is kind of the way the natural evolution of that happens. You ease, you ease the whiteies in middle America into the black culture. Well, and there's probably something to that because you consider that the, the villains in the first three Rocky films are all African-American. And then when you get to Rocky four, then you start evolving into, you know, as the cultures finally progress, you know, from that point forward. Well, actually not in Rocky Balboa. I guess the, the villain is somewhat, you know, he's African-American again, but he's he's misunderstood. He, he has respect. He's not really a villain. Yeah, right. he's just a fighter who wants to, you know, establish his, his legacy. But... You know, Tommy Morrison in five and uh, Ivan Drago in four, you know, they're very much the villain characters. Although in five, Tommy Morrison really isn't the villain character. He's kind of the pawn and the black promoter is ultimately the bad guy. Yeah, but the black promoter doesn't want him to fight Rocky in the street. And yet Tommy Morrison wants to do it for himself. So he's he's full bad guy. I give him full bad guy credit. You know, he may be the Darth Vader to the emperor, but he's still the bad guy. And he's got AIDS, so that just <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely the bad guy. Anything else on Rocky Three? Well, how can we not talk about the fighting choreography? Even as a kid, it bothered me that because I'd watched, like I said before, I was a, I was a, a, a big boxing fan during the eighties, and these guys never put their goddamn gloves on. <laughs> uh, and it's like when they do, that's when a fight turns. It's like, well, in all that training in Compton, did you never learn? Defense was it all about dancing, <laughs> dancing and, and running. Yeah, and I, I get that you got to have more action. You can't you can't have uh, you know Punch and Judy dance uh, fighting uh, fighting in a movie. It's not going to be interesting. But you could do it a little bit more realistically. I mean, these guys have their gloves literally at, at their hips, and they're and they're standing toe to toe. Just you know, it's your turn to punch my face. Okay, now it's my turn to punch your face. It, it it's it bugged me then. It bugged me even more now. Yeah, the the most athletic move is when uh, Duke, uh, Carl Weathers, or Apollo Creed's uh, trainer jumps over the the top the top rope and uh, after Rocky wins. <laughs> <laughs> Let's break this down, Randy. Uh, Rocky three. Does it uh, hold up for you? Not at all. I still copy old feelings because, I, I mean, I really loved this movie as a kid. It was so, it was like going on a, you know, an amusement park ride as a kid. And then you go back to the amusement park ride and, and it, it uh, is pretty lame compared to the new amusement park rides. And, uh, you know, uh, the character development was awful. The plot was uh, very paper thin. It was it was classic '80s eye candy, and um, it definitely definitely did not stand the test of time for me. All right, so Randy's gay for Stallone. <laughs> I'm, I'm gay for Stallone. Yeah, it's, it's your eye candy. 
I, <laughs> I meant the music video montage. Oh, it's all, okay. it's bad. all meant to, it's all meant to like, it's a, you know, cheap way to emotionally manipulate the audience. The young audience. I just don't know. Yeah, gone over. It for worked for all three of us. Uh, of course, we're all about the, you know, we're all about the same age. We're all about nine, ten. Right. Uh, when this came out, and uh, but they didn't, they didn't take any effort um, in drumming up real human drama. All right, That's all I have to say. Um, this was my introduction to the Rocky series. I loved it as a kid. I remember watching it on HBO constantly. You know, I liked every aspect of it. I didn't see it for years and years. Probably, I think I saw it again for the first time since the 80s, probably early 2000s with uh, my girlfriend, now my wife. Um, she, We watched it from the series from the beginning. She loved. She and I both loved Rockies 1 and 2, and then we got to this point in the series, and it was like, oh, God, this was so much better when I was a kid. Rem- I remember it being so much better. So, you know, it was a high point in the series, and it, j- it just does not stand the test of time. It, it, Randy talks about, you know, paper-thin plot, you know, storyline. It's not paper-thin. It's non-existent, you know, that they just, it, they're just trying to create drama. Every, every kind of tension is resolved quickly and not satisfyingly for any the audience in any way, shape, or form. Oh, Rocky's afraid. Okay, so he yells that to his wife on the beach, and then all of a sudden everything's fine? You know, that it doesn't really explain how he gets over it. Just because she says it's going to be okay, you know, Paulie's pissed off because he doesn't have money, and yet, okay, we give him some, and so he's okay? No, he's still a dick, you know, and, and, and then, then having Mickey die, I thought was it didn't need to happen. It just was, you know, it was just there to create some sort of drama that didn't need to happen. It's not as bad as Apollo dying in four, but it just is an unsatisfying film. It does not stand the test of time. And I don't even blame, like, Stallone for it that is a product of the 80s because he did make, you know, First Blood and Rambo First Blood Part Two, which I think are pretty decent films and still hold up pretty well. Um, granted, he did make Rhinestone around the same time as the. So maybe he does have some faults, but I don't think it was. I don't think it's. You can blame it squarely on the fact that this is just how films are made. There were other good films made around then that had storylines. Well, let me. I do want to jump in real quick about Mickey dying. Is it the one thing I thought as I was watching it was that not just it, in addition to just creating drama, just with the death, it seemed to also provide an out. Uh, or an excuse as to why he got pummeled so, so badly, is that he was distracted and this and that. So it's not just that he didn't train well or he was a worse fighter, but that he was distracted. But he and didn't so train well, and he was a worse fighter. So, I mean, that's, that, I think that's what frustrates me with it, is that they use that, is that, oh, he lost because his manager was dying. His manager and his father figure are dying. That's bullshit. He didn't train well, and he wasn't a better fighter. That that there's the drama how the sudden realization that hey i'm not that good a fighter i've been protected that i i got lucky and now i have to there's your character development right there now i have to become a better trained fighter i've got to learn something and then i go out there and i redeem myself but they they kind of blow that off and just write it off oh mickey was dying so he's distracted and oh, I agree with you 100%, and that's exactly – I saw it as a cop-out, where, whereas they keep him as the, const, the constant protagonist rather than a lazy bum who just, uh, you, you know, was kind of cocky and, and full of himself. No, I agree with you. That could have been an angle to actually have some development and also tell a story that matters in real life. So 
Yeah, they, they missed the, the mark all uh, all along the way. Just to echo what you guys said, absolutely no story. Um, now, that's not uncommon today. Uh, most of the <laughs> films that come out lack stories. And so from that perspective, it, it, uh, you, you know, I, I could see it standing the test of time uh, with, with basically better effects and 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 basically is what you have with some of these transformer films uh you know it's just no story whatsoever and just a bunch of action sequences here you just have some music videos and some some uh, sports montages basically uh but it's just just a horrible horrible film just tell a story and and regardless of what that story is have a point and and, and i think it's going to be a lot more worthwhile but this just absolutely blew one thing we didn't mention was uh, how incredibly one-dimensional uh, Clubber Lang's character was. I mean, it was there was nothing but mean, angry guy, mean, angry black guy. Period. Yeah, and he, you know, he goes away in, you know, after this. And I always thought it would have been great to have uh, Clubber Lang fight Drago at some point, just to kind of show exactly how dominating Ivan Drago was. Yeah, you know that would have yeah. probably that would have made probably Rocky Four a little bit better. That you know at least you would just see when someone gets killed, it doesn't have to be you know the, the major plot point for what it is. But who knows? The only redeeming thing this film gave us is probably the greatest WrestleMania ever, with Mr. T coming in with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and I don't even remember who they fought. That might have been the Andre the Giant uh, fight or. Roddy, I don't remember, but I remember when Mr. T came in with Hulk Hogan on that uh, WrestleMania. Ah, good times. Well, that's it for today's classic episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If there is an 80s film you'd like us to review, please send us an email at comments at moviehousememories.com with your name, your pick, and your location. And finally, if you are of the social media persuasion, you can look the MHM Podcast Network up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you do, please give us a follow when you find us. On behalf of the whole gang here at Lunchtime Movie Review, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, we have to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is brought to you by Alexander Nakarada at SerpentineSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise, nope.